0: Awesome. Well, good to see you this morning, Central Heights. You can have a seat. Uh, it's great to be with you. My name is David. I am one of the pastors here. I, I serve with young adults in our community groups as well as our internship program. And it's my privilege to be sharing the Word of God as we continue in the book of James in our series called Real Faith. And if you've been tracking with us at any portion of this series, then you know that James is a book about living for Jesus in the real world it's about the everyday stuff of life and how do you and i as followers of jesus as the people of god how do we live for jesus in this broken world that's kind of the the angle that james has and for james that's what it means to have real faith it's living a heavenly life well on earth it's having the perspective and the ways of heaven invade and inform the everyday parts of our life the things that you and i do every single day sometimes without even thinking or that we're aware of is that it's having heaven lived out in the ways that we live our lives, in our suffering, the way we think about and handle money, how we treat one another, how we live in our days, where we can find wisdom to live rightly in the world. God hasn't been silent about these things, James says. In fact, he's spoken into them and he has something to say to every area of our life because he's good and he wants us to have a life of real faith living for Jesus in this broken world where the the ways and perspective of heaven is invading and informing our everyday lives. This is what James is all about from start to finish, and this is what we've been doing in this series, is that we're trying to take what James says and we're trying to learn how do we live heavenly lives while living in this world? How do we live at work with this perspective of heaven? How do we parent with the perspective of heaven? How do we handle our money with the perspective of heaven? How do we make choices from the perspective of heaven, and and that's what we're trying to do in this series, and we're going to continue to do that this morning when James comes along in chapter 3, and he's going to talk to us about having the perspective of heaven with the things we say, our speech, our words, how we talk to one another, and so that's where we're going to be going this morning. If you have a Bible, why don't you go ahead and grab it and turn to James chapter 3. We're going to be camping out in verses 1 to 12 this morning, and if you're as you turn there, I don't know if you're like me, but I like a good TED Talk. I don't know if there's anyone out there that really enjoys TED Talk, but if you can go online to TED Talks, and you can get thousands of amazing and interesting talks about every part of life. And just recently, I watched one that's actually became one of my favorites, and it's called How to Speak So People Will Listen. It's by a guy named Julian Treasure. Now, that's a great name. Julian treasure he's on the old name team and and he starts his talk about how you and I can speak so others will listen with these words he says the human voice it's the instrument we all play it's the most powerful sound in the world probably it's the only one that can start a war or say I love you Now, how true is that? Our voice, the things we say, the words we use, how we talk to one another has power. It has power to start a fight, but it also has the power to touch the very deepest part of who we are and say, I love you and touch something that nothing else can touch in this world. That's powerful. That's how powerful our voice is. Not many things in our world have that kind of power. And of course, we know this from experience. You and I know this. I don't have to convince you of that reality. I mean, who hasn't felt the sting of someone's words or felt the sweetness of the experience of being encouraged by someone in your life? Who hasn't felt the, 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 the tearing down or the building up of the use of someone's words in your life? We've all had that experience. And that's why our words are this strange thing. Like for me, I've had people speak some amazing things over my life amazing things that still mean the world to me to this day. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, I moved back home. I had spent 20 years, my life was headed one way, and I had made this decision that, well, God had really made it for me, that it was time to leave that life behind and, and, and move into something new. And I had no idea what that was. I, I, I wanted to know, what had God put me on the planet for? And it was a really strange season of working with God and trying to figure that out, and, and I had really no idea. There was no sense of where that was leading until a friend of mine, uh, he gave me my first Bible. I was 26 years old. He gave me my first Bible, and in the Bible, he wrote this little note, and I still have that note, and I still remember what he said at the very end. At the end of the note, he, looked, he wrote this. He says, Dave, I believe in you, and I believe God wants to do something in your life and through your life. He's like, I can't wait to see you preach out of this Bible one day, and my response was, What? Me? Preach? Are you? Are, you must be joking. You can't be serious. Do you know how much of a mess I really am? Like, this hadn't even crossed my mind. It was absolutely shocking to hear those words, but you know what happened? He opened up a whole new world of possibilities to me in that moment. He saw something that he, in my life, and he spoke what he saw over my life, and he opened up something that I never thought possible. Now I stand here today because a friend of mine said to me, I believe in you, and I see this in you, and I want to call it out. That's the power of words. But of course, we also know that on the flip side, that words can build us up, but they can also harm us. They also tear us down, and and I've done that too. If I'm really honest, I've said many, many things in my life that have hurt people. I say things that hurt my wife, my kids, my brothers, my parents, my in-laws. I've said things that have probably hurt some of you, and, and I grieve that, and I'm extremely regretful of the things that I have said that have hurt people in my life and you know what you're probably just like me you've had people speak over your life that have in in ways that have encouraged you and you've probably misused the word of uh, that of your words to to hurt or to harm that's the the paradox of our our words and that's why James comes along in our passage this morning and he says you need to watch our words because our words have power They have the power to build up and they have the power to tear down. And so James will say to us this morning, watch your words. This is how he starts in verse 1 of chapter 3. He says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Chapter 3, by addressing a problem. And here's the thing. He's not talking about a problem that's out there in the world problem. He's actually talking about a problem that's in here, in the church. He's talking to you and me as those who say, yes, I follow Jesus. He's talking to God's people. He's talking to church folk as he writes these words. Yes, the world has issues. And James is very clear with that all the way throughout his letter. But that's not his concern here. Rather, his concern is how... God's people, followers of Jesus, talk to one another. That's where James is is narrowing our focus this morning. And this has his attention because the people in the churches he's writing to, they are using their words as weapons and they've let their speech run wild over and over. There's a few different times in, in this letter where James talks about How the people he's writing to are attacking each other and are are accusing each other. They're actually, at one point he says they speak evil over one another. They're actually slandering each other and speaking with malicious intent and they're hurting each other. And because of that, the fabric of the unity of the church that God created is being torn apart by the way they're talking to one another. And James comes along and he says, watch out, be careful. What you say has great potential and it has great power. And he goes on to unpack this idea all the way throughout chapter 3. But he starts with this warning. And the first warning goes to people like me that are called to teach the word of God. People that have been asked to step into this space and, and teach others the word of God. And he's saying, hey leaders, people who teach the Bible, be careful because you will be held accountable by God for what you say. That's a scary thought. I don't want to think about it anymore so we're going to move on he starts with the leaders and then he says but hold on a second it's not just the leaders it's everybody else too look in verse 2 this is what he says for we all stumble in many ways and if anyone does not stumble in what he says he is a perfect man able also to bridle his whole body so James says the reality is this we all stumble We've all fallen short of God's glory. We've all made mistakes. We've all screwed up at one point or another in our lives. All of us have missed the mark of what God has said is right, good, true, and best. And so we've all done that. So we're all in this together. Every single one of us has fallen short. James says we all stumble. But then notice what he says right after that is that one of the ways we all stumble is that by what we say. One of the ways we stumble is by what we say. And this is, is true, isn't it? We've all said the wrong thing at the wrong time. We've all had a moment in our life where we said something. Something came out of our mouths and immediately we wanted to take it back. But we couldn't. We've all had a moment where we've misspoken or we said something harsh. Or we didn't say something um, and withheld something that someone really needed. We've all had those moments. There's been at least one moment in your life and my life where we've said something we regret. This is James's operating assumption as he begins. That we all stumble, and one of the ways we do that is by what we say. And he says if we could claim otherwise, we'd be perfect. And no one can claim that, right? There's nobody in here that can claim perfection. The only person in all of human history who can claim perfection is Jesus. He was the only one who lived a perfect life, never sinned once, never misspoke once. And so the only person who could say that they've lived perfectly and done this perfectly is Jesus and so for the rest of us here's what that means we live in a twofold reality of grace and truth grace and truth the grace is this is that no one is perfect we're all in this together we all stumble we all fall, fall short that's the reality of grace and then the reality of truth is this is that we all stumble in what we say we all sin with our words We've all missed the mark with what we've said. We've all done it. There it is, grace and truth. This is the the reality that you and I live in as as, as humans is that we've all stumbled and we all have stumbled by what we've said. This is the space we live in. And so James levels the playing field right out of the get-go. He says all of us have taken the good gift of speech from God and we've misused it in some way, all of us. Or we've had it misused against us. Have you ever heard that old saying? It's an older one, so I don't know if we've heard it or not, but sticks and stones may may break my bones, but your words can never hurt me. Have you ever heard that saying? Yeah, it's not true at all, is it? Not at all. Yes, bones hurt when they break, but don't you think that words spoken harshly last, the hurt lasts a lot longer than a broken bone does? See, the reality is, is that the words spoken over us hurt in a way a broken bone can't. They cut deeper. They last far longer than a broken bone does. It's just true that words hurt. And I don't know your story, but here's what I do know. Is that at some point in your life, someone has spoken words over you that have hurt you. They have cut you deeply, and it still hurts years later. You just can't shake what that person spoke over your life. It's like they're standing beside you every single day, and they're speaking those words. Even if it was decades ago, that's the reality for most of us is that people have said things to us that have hurt us, and so much of our life is lived in response to what that person said or those people said to you. And if that's you, can I just say, I'm so sorry, I grieve with you. If that's your story, then it's my story too, because it is. See, I have these these tapes that play in my head of things that people have said to me, things like, uh, you're not good enough. You need to change who you are Because who you are is not good enough. Hey, you're not worth sticking around for. I don't want you in my life anymore, so I'm going to leave. I've actually had those things said over my life. And it was decades ago that someone said those things to me, or people said those things to me, and I still feel like it's yesterday. That's the power of words. They cut and they go deeply into our lives. And it's relentless. And you know what? Most of the time I believe what those people said about me. If I'm really honest, I actually feel the deepest part of my being, I am actually not good enough. And some days I actually think there's something wrong with me because of what these people have said to me. And so much of my life has been lived in a response to try to prove to myself, to others and people that aren't even in my life anymore, that they were wrong. That what they said can't be true. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's absolutely exhausting to live your life that way. And so I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what people have spoken over you. But here's what I do know is that it's happened, and I'm sorry, and it's brutal. And it doesn't even matter that James says your, the tongue is a small part of the body. Small things can have great power. Just like a, a bit in a horse's mouth or the rudder of a ship have more power than we think, they actually direct so much more and guide so much more than what they, their size warrants our words have more power than we think and some of us get that all too well and James recognizes the reality of this and it's why he writes these words and it's why he wants to remind us that our words have great power look at what he says in verses 5 to 10 he says this so also the tongue is a small member yet it boasts of great things how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire and the tongue is a fire a world of unrighteousness my brothers and sisters, these things ought not to be so. Strong words from James. We kind of got used to it as we've gone through this series is that James doesn't pull any punches with the language that he uses, but for James, this is how serious this issue is, is that he would use words like evil, poison, Fire to describe what he's talking about. And here's why, for him, what we say has more power than we think and has a much deeper problem than we imagine. Let me say that again. What we say has more power than we think and is a much deeper problem than we imagine. This is what James is making his point as he writes these words. And he makes his point using those images of fire. And again, words like poison and evil to describe just how potent our words can be. He doesn't hold back at all. He, he says our words are like fire. What he says here is that what we say is a little spark that can set a whole forest on fire. In other words, one word out of our mouths can set everything around us, including other people's lives, on fire. And he wants the image of this fire burned into our minds. And that's not a pun. It's that he wants that in our minds, eye to remind us of the power of our words to destroy, to wreak havoc, and to ruin everything in its path. He wants this picture of, our, of a forest being consumed and destroyed in our minds just to remind us that this is, this is serious and that our words can do great damage. And, and we can spend a few moments just thinking about the fires that have happened in BCE and how even last summer we had smoke and a haze because of the fire. And, and you start to get the picture of, of how serious James is taking this. And so we can get on board with that picture because we've had that experience the past few summers here. And so James uses that image of fire, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say that what we say is a whole world of evil and injustice in itself, because our words can speak poison that kill the spirit. They're like the, the, the poison and the venom that comes from a snake. With our words, we can tear people down, and we can burn them up, and And that's why James goes so far to say that the words we speak are actually set on fire by hell. The place that is separate from all that is good and right and true. He's actually saying that when we speak words in this way, it's from hell. The place that is separate from all that is good and right and true. Strong words. I like how the message translation of the Bible says it. It says it like this. It only takes a spark, remember. Remember. To set off a forest fire, a careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. By our speech, we can ruin the world. Turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke and go up in smoke with it, smoke right from the pit of hell. See, what we say has incredible power. James says it's also a really big problem. Look at verse 8. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a ref- restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. And so what's the problem that James says here? Not only do our words have power, but we can't actually control what we say. That our tongues are, are wild, that we can't actually bra- rein them in, that we can't tame the things that we say. It's too wild. We can't bring it under control no matter what we do we are unable to contain our ability to hurt and harm people with the words we say. And that's a big problem. That's a really big problem. It's a problem that shows itself in so many different ways in our lives. And so James is not really painting a very rosy picture so far, is he? He's got really strong words, and and he's teaching us that there's power in our words, that we have a problem with our words. And he goes on to say that, there's many different ways that we, we, we have a problem with our words. And he shows us one in verse 9. He says that the, the way, one of the ways we misuse our words is that we're not consistent with how we speak. On one hand, we bless God, that during worship we praise God, we sing songs, we respect God, we honor God. And then on the other hand, we curse people who are made in the image of God. We use our words to speak evil things over people's lives. We hurt them. We harm them. And so James is, is calling out the du- duplicitous ways that you and I tend to speak when we do this. When we come in here on a Sunday and we, and we worship God and we, we sing and we, we talk nicely, but then we go and we talk about people behind their back. Or we, or we, we go home and we, we yell at our kids or whatever that looks like. James is talking about how we can be hypocritical with the way that we talk how we can respect and honor God but then turn around and disrespect people with the same words we just use to honor and respect God and so so what are some of the ways other ways that James talks about well if you move over to, to chapter 4 verse 11 James talks about speaking evil against one another he says do not speak evil against one another brothers the one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is only one lawgiver and judge. He was able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? And so James says we do this when we judge and and slander other people. When we look at another person and we hold them to a standard that they could never reach. And then when they don't reach that standard, we, we judge them internally and then... we we condemn them in some way and then James says we actually sometimes go so far to actually speak that condemnation over someone we we have malicious words we speak evil against someone and so sometimes this judging is an internal thing we don't say anything but other times James says it's an external thing and he says this is serious serious stuff at the end he says but who are you to judge your neighbor? who are you to look at someone and condemn them? He's, he's, he's saying who do you think you are? Don't you know that when you judge someone else, you're putting yourself in the place of God? You're acting as judge, and that's God's job, not yours. So James says, watch your words. Be careful. But what are some other ways we can do this? Well, the Bible brings up things like insulting people and ridiculing them with the intention to hurt them. It brings up harsh criticism, negativity. It also has a lot to say about gossip, speaking ill of someone who isn't there. It also has a lot to say about sarcasm. And so... It's easy to dismiss things like gossip and sarc- sarcasm as, as harmless or done in fun or, or not hurtful, but the Bible has a totally different view of that. Let's take g- gossip for example. Proverbs 16:28 says a troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs 20:19 says a gossip goes around telling secrets, so don't hang around with chatterers. Essentially what's saying is don't be around people who gossip. What about sarc- sarcasm? A lot of times sarcasm is used in jest and is meant to be funny, but it actually, if you dig a little deeper, sarcasm is actually really hurtful. Did you know that the English word for sarcasm who means uh, to tear or strip the flesh off? Did you know that? Changes how we see sarcasm now, doesn't it? See, sarcasm can actually feel like your flesh is getting ripped off when someone says that to you. One article I read actually said that uh, sarcasm can be defined as hostility disguised as humor. And so it can hurt, sarcasm can hurt the person that it's directed to, but also psychologically there's studies that say that sarcasm actually hurts the person who's using it. In Psychology Today, uh, there's this article that found your happiness level can be affected by how much sarcasm you use. Look at this quote, what's more? Since action strongly determines thought and feelings, when a person consistently acts sarcastically, it may only serve to heighten his or her underlying hostility and insecurity. Alternatively, when a person stops voicing negative comments, especially sarcastic and critical ones, he or she may soon start to feel happier and more self-confident. So in other words, what you feel is connected to what you say. There's a, a physiological effect when you use something like sarcasm. This is how deeply this goes all the way down to our emotions, what we feel, and it can actually affect your your happiness level. And so James wants us to get that how we talk to and about one another matters. It has more power than we think and is a much deeper problem than we imagine. And this is where James takes us as he lands the plane in verses 11 and 12. Look at this, what he says there. He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water, Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. So he uses two images here to help us understand this problem that we're facing. He says springs can't produce two kinds of fruit or water, and a tree can't produce two kinds of fruit. That makes sense, right? Well, James says that's actually true of people as well. People with real faith won't use their words to both bless and to curse. It just doesn't make sense. Just like an apple tree can't produce pears. That if we are going to be people of real faith, then we won't use our words to both bless and curse. That doesn't connect. doesn't make sense. But this is only part of the problem that James is getting at. Yes, he's proving a point that he's made in verses 8 and 9 and 10. But he's also revealing a deeper problem that we have. And what he's doing is he's actually just taking something that Jesus taught... And he's applying it and he's using it here to teach us the exact same thing that Jesus taught about why humans do what they do. And the answer is your heart. See, when when James was walking along with Jesus, he would listen to Jesus. And and Jesus would use these same images. Jesus used the image of a spring in a book of the Bible called John. And he used an image of a tree in a book called Luke. And if we turn there in Luke chapter 6, this is what Jesus teaches. This is Jesus teaching about why humans do what they do. And James is listening. This is what Jesus says. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what Jesus is saying here is that we do what we do as humans because of something that's in our hearts. What we say, how we act, it's all an overflow of our hearts. The circumstances we find ourselves in don't make us do what we do. The people in our lives don't make us do what we do. Jesus would teach us that we do what we do because of what's in our hearts, that the things that happen around us is only the stage where our hearts get revealed. And so James is taking this idea... And he's saying that what comes out of us, like our words, is an indicator of what's in our hearts. That that's where this whole problem really starts. And so the problem with our words is tied to the problem of our hearts. And that's why this problem is a much deeper one than we imagine. It goes all the way down to the part of us that drives all our behavior, all our actions, all our thinking, all the ways we desire, all the ways we are motivated, all the things we say. And so our speaking problem is ultimately a heart problem. And this is where James leaves us. He makes his point, and then he moves on. He diagnoses the real problem, what's inside of us, and then he stops. He doesn't give us any answers or solutions, not really. And so where do we go from here? How do we take what James has said, these strong words about our, our speech, where do we go from here? How do we become people who use the power and the potential of our words to build up instead of tear down, to help instead of harm? We need to take a four-step journey. It's not an easy journey, but it's a journey that will get us down the road if we want to be people of real faith in this area, the area that we're talking about, your words, how you speak. And the first step in this journey is being honest. See, the starting point for this journey is recognizing that what James is saying this morning is for you. It's not for the person you came with, it's not for your spouse, it's not for your kids, it's not for your boss or your coworker, or your friend or that person in your life. What James is saying is for me, first and foremost, before anyone else, James is talking to me as someone who misuses their words. It's about how you and how you speak. And so if you want to take the first step on this journey towards having more real faith in your life, living for Jesus in this broken world, it means admitting that I've stumbled by what I've said. I've gone wrong in this way. I've done it over and over again, and I need help. I need rescue. I need transformation. I need help in this area of my life. And so being honest is the first step in this journey. And it's an important step because it's the starting point for everything else that's going to come. The next step is an inward step, and it's about, be, it's about the heart. And so I would say what James and Jesus are teaching is that we need to be people about the heart. See, so if we want to deal with the problem of our words, then we need to deal with the problem of our hearts. If we want lasting change in how we speak, trying harder is not going to be the answer. Lasting change comes when, when we allow God to, to, to go deep down into us and change us on the inside so that everything that we do on the outside changes. That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what Jesus is after is heart-level transformation. It's applying His grace and His power to that deepest part of who we are, so that what changes on the inside, as that works and as God works, then what we do on the outside begins to change as well. And so we're going to have to partner with God to look into our hearts, to seek out the motivations, the desires, the things in our heart. And let's be honest and just be really real. That's going to be a hard journey, because our hearts are out of whack. They need cal- recalibrating we need help we need rescue and the good news is that rescue is God's specialty it's what he's in the business of doing in verse 12 of chapter 4 James says there's only one lawgiver and judge who is able to save what he's saying there is that there is only one person who has the power to save you in the way that you really need and it's not you it's Jesus the word he uses there is, is a Greek word called sozo, and it means to deliver, to rescue. And so what we, you and I need is Jesus to sozo our hearts, to rescue our hearts and sin's power at work within them. We need Jesus to recalibrate our hearts. He's the one with the power to rescue us in the way that we need, and this rescue is a two-step process. It starts with receiving a new heart. When, the, when you come to a place for the first time and you say, Jesus, I want you to lead my life. What you did on the cross counts for me. When you do that, then the promise of God made through a guy named Ezekiel becomes true in your life. See, thousands of years before Jesus showed up on the scene and did what he did in his life, death, and resurrection, God made a promise that there would be a day when he would give people a new heart. That he would change them on the inside in a way that would be complete. That they would actually become a new creation how the Apostle Paul told it, that their desires, their, their passions, the very core of who they are would become new, would become different, that they would become something completely different on the inside. And so Jesus comes along and he does what he did on the cross. He's buried, he, he's put in a tomb. He, three days later he rises again and that anyone who puts their faith in him can have that promise of Ezekiel written on their heart. They'll take, God will take your heart of stone and he'll make it a heart, a heart of flesh. He'll give you a new heart with new passions and new desires. He'll make you into a new creation. That's the, second, that's the first step. And then the second step is working in relationship with God and allowing him to change you on the inside so that what you do on the outside changes too. So this is what you and I need ultimately is rescue and transformation in our hearts because as that happens, then what we do, how we speak, begins to change. And so step one is be honest, step two is be about the heart, step three is hear what God speaks over you. See, one of the first things we see in the Bible is that there is a God who exists, and this God speaks. Over and over in the first book of the Bible, Genesis, we see the phrase, then God said, and something that wasn't there before came into being. The creative act, the shaping of this world and everything in it, including humans, was done when God spoke. God created all things by the power of his words. And then a little bit later in Genesis, we see him speaking to the first humans and we, he tells them their purpose, why they exist. And so he gives them identity and meaning and purpose. He speaks those things over them. This is how God speaks. He communicates to create and he communicates to create, to bring life. And for us to be able to be transformed and live heavenly lives on earth, and we need to train ourselves to listen to what God says and not to the things that people have said over us. Need to hear heavenly words spoken over us so that this earthly words spoken over us can be silenced once and for all. So I want to do that this morning. I want to help us hear the voice of God. Because when we really start listening, we hear words of love. Do you know like the same words that God spoke over Jesus at Jesus' baptism? This is my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. Is the same words he speaks over you if you are in relationship with him? This is my daughter, who I love. With you I am well pleased. This is my son who I love. With you I am well pleased. Have you ever thought about the fact that God loves you and he's pleased with you? God speaks words of love over every single one of us. He speaks words of delight. In a a small book of the Bible called Zephaniah 317, it says that God rejoices over you with gladness and he sings for joy over you. That in this moment right now, God is singing in heaven over you because he finds joy in who you are. God speaks words of delight over you he speaks words of hope in jeremiah 29:11 it's often misquoted out of context but it means in hard times in moments of suffering god will speak words that you have a future that this isn't the end for you he speaks words of hope he also speaks words of freedom jesus cried out from the cross a, a cry of victory it is finished I've won a victory. It's done. There's nothing else that needs to be done. So you and I who say yes to Jesus can actually walk in victory. God speaks words of victory and freedom over you. Jesus said when he was just about to leave to his disciples in John 14, I give you my peace. And so Jesus looks at us and he says, I'm going to speak words of peace over your life. And finally, probably the best promise of all, The thing that God's spoken over all of us is words of his presence. And Joshua 1.9 says, do not be dismayed or afraid. Be strong and courageous for I am with you wherever you go. God's promise is that he's with you. And so no matter what you face, no matter what you're going through, God is speaking over his presence, his love, his delight, his hope, his freedom, his peace. He's spoken that over you and he's doing it now. He hasn't been quiet. Do you hear him? Do you really hear these words? Because they will change you if you listen to them. I love what Erwin McManus says. He says, When God speaks, life happens. That's what he wants, is to bring you life and life to the full. And so, if you and I take our cues from heaven, and if God's purpose is to speak life, then you and I need to speak what brings life. That's the third step in this journey. We need to speak what brings life into people's life. Do you know that humans are often like plants? We crave, we crave words of love and encouragement because that's how we're created. We need to be loved, we need to be encouraged. And when we speak words of encouragement, it's like water and light on a plant. The plant flourishes, the plant has life, it's it's beautiful. But when we withhold our words of encouragement and love, or we speak words that harm, then what ends up happening is the human soul starts to wither. I don't know if you can see it, but it gets dried up. It slowly starts to, to shrink, and it's the former luster and the beauty. It just gets cramped down and contained. And, and, and James would come along and say, people are starving for words of life and love and hope and encouragement to be spoken over them. They need it. They're looking for someone to do that, to pour water onto their life. And as people of God, we need to speak what brings life into every single sphere, into every person's life that we come across. And that's my last point, is that we need to do that so we can elevate the conversation. See, I love what that TED talk that I quoted earlier says. He asked the question, how can we speak powerfully to make change in the world? And that's a great question, because if you go out and you listen to people, or you go online and read the comment section, or go on social media, what you see is that this isn't the norm, is that there is a desperate need for, for words to be spoken that, that, that can bring change and life. And that's the opposite of what we see. We see so much empty talk, meaningless talk, hurtful talk. And it'd be really easy for us in those moments as followers of Jesus to just go along and to to stay quiet. But what I think James is calling us to, what God's calling us to, is that we would elevate the conversation wherever we went. That we would show the world something different by how we speak to each other. And so how can we speak powerfully to change the world one person at a time? You may not change the entire world with one kind word, but you will change that person's world for that day and the world they inhabit. And that's how we change the world, is we speak what brings life one person at a time. We elevate the conversation. And when that happens, man, it's going to be beautiful to watch. When that happens, we'll be living with real faith. Heaven will invade earth just a little bit more by what we say. So with God's help, can we do that? Let's do it. Let's pray. God of mercy and love, I thank you for these words. As hard as they are, Lord, I thank you for the grace that you show us. That even though we stumble, even though we fall short, even though we we don't do this perfectly, you have grace for us in Jesus. And thank you that you are calling us to more this morning, God. That you are asking us to, to be honest and to recognize that our words can hurt, our words can harm, and that we would be honest again with the reality of how we've been hurt by those words. And so, Lord, first and foremost, what I want to say is I'm sorry for the way I've hurt people with the words that you've given me. I ask for your forgiveness, and I pray that you would change my heart, change our hearts, that we would be people who have hearts that are more and more like yours, Jesus. And then, as that happens, I pray that we would speak differently in people's Lives And so, God, would you speak over us your words of life this morning? And as we hear that, I pray that it would, we would hear that not just with our ears, but deep in our hearts. And it would become a heart-level knowledge. And that, that would participate in the change you want to bring. And then through that, I pray that we would be people who bring life and elevate the conversation wherever we go. Help us to do that, Lord. In Jesus' name.